Welcome to the Possibility Lounge, monthly conversations with some of my favorite healers, dreamers, thinkers, and innovators about how they're dreaming up and living their most liberated lives. I'm your host, Jen Roberts. In our last episode before summer break, I talked to my big sister and friend, Rashida Creighton. Being that Rashida has known me for more than half of my life, you can imagine this conversation is full of memories, revelations, and deep honesty. In this episode, we talk about checking all the boxes and then deciding to break all the rules, designing a life to which you feel aligned and connected, and how choosing to leave both her marriage and job changed everything. So grab a drink and a journal, find a comfy spot and listen in. This is The Possibility Lounge. I put on my best filming gear for this for this for this podcast uh because i am excited to welcome my big sister rashida Craden. hey girl thank you i'm so happy to have you it's perfect this is the last uh podcast before we take a summer break ah, so it's i didn't know if i was going to do that when i started this but i decided you know what we're breaking for the summer we'll be back in the fall so we'll be back in september but um i think it's great to end with you for before the break because when I first started doing the possibility lounge on Clubhouse you were my first person so like it is so like a whole little serendipitous full circle (laughs) moment you know to end uh before break with you so like yeah that's I'm glad to do this so you know, I, these are fly on the wall conversations. So we're just going to talk like we normally talk and we got questions, but who knows if we'll go off tangent. If we, if this gets longer than the 45 minutes, we like to do these for like all the folks in our online group will get the extended cut of this if it goes yeah, into that. In the group. But uh, yes, get in the group for the extended. Um, but um, I'm just really excited to talk to you because I feel like I have known you for a really long time and other folks um, are getting to know you, but who I knew a long time ago and who I know now are different people. And so I am excited for people to hear your journey and to see where you've been. And so I'm going to kick this off with the question I always ask folks, which is what is your origin story and how did you become the Rashida we know today? You know, I love that you ask that question every time. Um, Because I just think it's powerful to think about your process and and where you come from. So um, I'll go all the way, all the way back. Um, I am born and raised Richmond, Virginia. I still live here. That's another story. We'll probably get to later about why I live in Richmond. Um, But um, I am the youngest of two children. Um, Grew up with both of my parents. They actually celebrate their 51st anniversary, I think probably by the time this, this airs. Wow. Um, so they're coming up on 51 in May. I love your parents. So congratulations to them. They are so great. And everybody like tries to steal them. And for the longest, I used to try to give them away, but now I don't. I actually try to <laughs> not share. Um, but, um, and honestly, I kind of grew up in this like from my lens, like my, my older brother and I actually grew up differently. Um, he is six years older. And even though we were in the same household and raised by the same parents, my parents were just out of college when he was born. He was the only kid of their friend group. 
And so like, he just had a very different upbringing than I did. Um, whereas by the time I came along, like, I think I might've been the second kid in the friend group or somewhere around there, but I was still in the older group. But even so, like they just, my parents, I think were a little bit stricter. Um, they sheltered me a lot. Um, and, and these were things that I did not know until I was grown that I didn't even realize. So um, we grew up in Richmond. I spent half of my childhood in an area at Northside, my whole childhood in Northside, but in an area called Battery Park. And we lived, um, for those that know Richmond, we lived up the hill from the playground, like at the end of the park. I was grown before I realized, like people used to get shot in the park, like oh, crazy yeah. stuff would go down in the park. And one of my closest friends who were still friends this day lived right next door. And she was like, and she said, you don't remember this stuff? I was like, no, like, I'm the clueless kid. I don't know nothing about what was going on. I'm the straight lace, straight and narrow. Like, you go to school, you do, you do your activities, you get good grades. Like, you, you just sort of flow. Um, and really didn't have a perspective for the world that was around me. Um, I knew everybody and I was cool with everybody. I just didn't know what was really going on, to be honest. And when I was about eight or nine, um, my parents used to, my parents used to drop us off at uh, Sunday school at mm -hmm. a church near, like near us. First African Baptist, that was it. But they didn't go to church. They just dropped us off <laughs> to Sunday school. <laughs> like, oh, man. And I oh, was that's like, hilarious. I don't even like, it, it, to me, I was just like, whatever. My brother, his friends went there. So he was like, I'm hanging with my friends. But like, they literally would drop us off to Sunday school. And then they would come back and pick us up after <laughs> Sunday school. So when everybody was going in to like church service, they would, we'd be outside and they'd come and get us. Um, that is hilarious. And it was just like, well, that's weird, but okay. Um, and then I remember one day, like they weren't there and my brother had gone off with his friends and they, they did not come back. They were like late, late. And I was like, what do we do? Like, what in the world? Um, well, they had found a church. They had actually gone to a church. And so this is the church that you and I grew up in. And they were late because they had gone to service. And that started this change in our family dynamic in life mm. that um, I think my brother probably felt this shift more abruptly than I did. Mm. Um, but like some, some of the stuff that we always did, my parents were always, my parents <clears throat> owned a club back in the day when they first moved to Richmond. They owned the club. Yes. <laughs> what? Are you serious? You know where Ivory's was? Yes. Okay, they owned a club in that spot. This is before I was born called the third world. It was a jazz wow. completely ahead of its time. But like, they will tell you all the musicians that like, we know, and nobody's name is coming to me right now that came through the third world. They owned it with wow. their friends. So like, this is how my brother grew up. Yeah, very different. It's very different. Um, and so they own Third World and they still have, they might have purged it now, but like growing up, they still had 
real to real and a real to real player of like jazz. So I, I used to go in the basement in high school and like listen to the real to reels. Like I was listening to Coltrane on like real to real uh, record. Wow. And they still had the menus up from the club and all of that. And so my parents went from like these really cool people to like <laughs> really deep people. <laughs> that is a huge transition. It's a huge transition. And at the time, we're talking about my brother at this point is like 16. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I'm 10. And so I spent half my childhood in two different ways. And he spent most of his childhood in one way. And then he's like, our parents are like at church every Sunday. And, you know, now we don't do this and we don't do that. And and things get like really strict. And that kind of always kept me in a space of, I follow the rules, Mm -hmm. right? There's rules. You follow the rules. You don't break out of the rules. This is what they say. This is how they say stuff works. So this is how it's going to work. And I'm going to follow the path. And I am naturally super type A. Mm -hmm. So I naturally am a planner. So when you you combine Mm -hmm. being a type A planner, and being somebody that stays within the rules and follows the rules, then you get me for the longest time. Uh, Nope, you're supposed to do this, and then this happens, and that happens. And so um, I know you know my Spellman story, which is a big part of my origin story. So I was 12. My friend Alicia, who's one that lived next door, her parents took her on a college tour. She came back with a Spellman brochure. And I was like, oh, I want to go there. Literally, that was it. <laughs> I had never heard of the school. I didn't know nobody that had gone there. I was like, I want to go there. And I, I was like, I was like, I want to be a lawyer. I'm going to go to Spelman. 12 years old. My family, my median family was like, okay. But the rest of my family would be like, well, what if you don't get it? My uncle, one of my uncles in particular, he's like, he's just a contrarian. And he'd be like, so what if you don't get in? And I'd be like, what? I don't, does not compute. I don't understand. Right. Of course. Um, what are you talking about? And so that was the plan. Everything was to follow this path that I had set for myself. Um, And so I graduated high school. I went from all black Richmond public schools to this (laughs) high school that was this new school that was still a Richmond public school technically, but it was regional. And so I went from like two white kids in my class to like being one of a handful of black kids in my class in high school, which was a major shift for me. And I applied to Spelman. I got in early decision. I ain't applied nowhere else. I was like, I'm out. I'm gone. And I had no concept of anything. Like I had no concept of how much it costs. I think about that. My brother and I talk about that a lot now. Like our parents just kind of let us go. And they felt it was important for us to go out of state so they pushed that. But I never thought about like, what does it cost and what do they have to put in? And I'm a child of two self-employed parents. So at this point, when, when like the life switch changed for them, we moved to a new neighborhood where we were one of three Black families on, a, on the whole street, not just the block, the whole street. Um, And then my mom started her own business. My dad had already had his own business. So like, I'm watching them go through this entrepreneurial journey. Like, so my view of everything was very different. Um, And even so, I just, it was like, no, they 
they said I could go. So we just gonna go. And that was never, there was never a conversation about it. Um, and I kept working the plan. I went to Spelman and like literally freshman year, I was going to the law school admissions council fair that they have in Atlanta every year to start to think about law schools, my freshman year. And every year after, because there's a plan, we're going to work the plan, we're going to execute the plan, we're going to do the things. I knew not to lose my, I had a partial scholarship. I knew not to lose my scholarship because my brother lost his scholarship <laughs> to undergrad and that he, I forever commend him because he sat at a semester, came home, went to VCU, finished on time, like went to every single session, finished on time wow. on his own, right? Like I, I, I commend him forever for that. But as the younger sister, I was like, so that's what happens when you don't do your part. Because my dad had a saying, you do your part, I do mine. Mm-hmm. And I was like, not a problem. I'm going I'm to do my part. <laughs> <laughs> we going to be cool. Right. So I had a conversation. Um, and so I did all the things. And then I went to law school and I went straight through, which I re- like in the scheme of regrets. <clears throat> would I, I would not have done that if I did it over I would have taken a break and I got burnout and the plan started changing when I got burnout and I, I took a semester I went to I could you could do an externship and so you could do a domestic one or international one I chose to do a domestic one and I worked with the children's defense fund for a semester and when I did that I got exposed to um aging out of foster care and the risks that come with that um, and the challenges that come with that. My second day of work was uh, 9-11. Wow. And so we were, the research that I was there to do was heavily impacted by 9-11. And then I also got exposed to kinship care and what that looks like. And I got, I went from, I'm going to be this corporate lawyer to emerging acquisitions in a semester to I'm going to go save the world and I'm going to do policy work and all of this. And then reality set in and I was like, um, I actually need to make some money. So I'm not going to do that. But it has always sat with me. And I think that was the beginning of what I call the, I now reflect on as, as the process of undoing. But it's a long process because I did this clerkship here. I came back home to do a clerkship in 2002. I haven't left. <laughs> I remember <laughs> when you went back. <laughs> I was like, I'm going back to Atlanta. I took the Georgia bar. I passed. I was like, bet. I ain't left. I took the Virginia bar after that because clearly I <laughs> You weren't going anywhere. I went anywhere. <laughs> but the Richmond that you grow up in and you're 17. It's not the same as an adult and it's evolved and it's a different city, quite frankly. Um, and so the clerkship was the beginning of me being on a different path. And I went from there to like, I don't know where I'm going to work, even though I had had these like very lucrative, big firm offers, Mm -hmm. um, when I was graduating, because I took a clerkship path, some of that went away. And then there was a downturn in the economy um, and so I ended up doing some temp work and then I started this temp job at Capital One. It turned into a 15 year career. <laughs> um, didn't see that coming either. When I hit five, I was like, huh? And then when I hit 10, I was like, Ooh, oh, we're here now. <laughs> <laughs> we're here. We are here, here. <laughs> um, but the last, 
Let me see. I left there two years ago. So the last five years being there um, was really, there was a lot going on. So, you know, I, I did all the checkbox things. I, I got this career. I met somebody. I got married. I had a kid. I have, I have this blended family. Um, so I've got the two older daughters now um, as a result of the marriage. And then we had, you know, well, you know, like we had a stillborn child. And then five years later, we had Bear, um, who's now seven. And so I'm like checking all the boxes, but not recognizing myself in the process. And over time, I started to question what was going on in my life. I started to question, like, actually, I, I remember saying to a, a friend of mine, like, am I in an abusive relationship? Because it wasn't physical, it was emotional, but I didn't understand how that manifested. And when it dawned on me, I had a picture of myself at like homecoming, like the year before I got married. Mm. And I had a picture of myself, like, that October of 2015, I left in December 2015. And I didn't, they did not look like the same person. Like the side by sides did not look like the same person. And I was like, who's that? Hmm. Um, and when I realized that, like when then it all starts to settle in and, and then you go through the, what do I do? How do I handle it? Yeah. Um, because the upbringing is you don't walk away. Yeah. And so you start to wrestle with that along with what you inherently know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually pulled out one of my Spelman textbooks. I took Violence Against Women with Dr. <clears throat> Spence, um, uh, Dean Spence, and I still had that textbook and I pulled it out. Um, and I pulled out the circle of violence and the cycle of violence. And I, I like, I spent some time looking at it. I keep that book actually, um, just as a reminder of what it, it served, ended up serving for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and what new year's Eve, 2015 going into 2016, I was like, we're not going into 2016 the same way. Woke up and it was clear as day voice. I say of God, like you need to go today. And I packed up Zoe and we got up out of there and didn't look back. And that was, I think, a really critical turning point mm-hmm. because once I made that move, I also wasn't happy at work. Mm. Um, I was up for promotion. I told my boss not to promote me. She was like, what do you want to do? And I said, she was giving me, like literally handing me everything. Just tell me what you want to take. You just need a little more responsibility. Promotion's a lot. And I was like, I don't want to. That's not interesting. And she gave me the space to figure it out. And it took about a year. And I figured it out. And I found this space that I wanted to play in that was community and entrepreneurship, but from a corporate side. And I started doing that and loved it and built some amazing things and met some great people. And it got me out of a suburban office into a, a city-based location that allowed me to interact in the city in a different way. And then when, at that point, I had been navigating through the divorce, all the things, and I, I had 
I had come back into myself, but I was a new self. And when the conversation came up of what do you want to do next? Because I like to build stuff. When it's just running, I'm done. And we have that in common. (laughs) Like, don't, that's boring. (laughs) I don't want to get it started. (laughs) And they said, what do you want to do next? And I was like, I had 15 years in September. I'm, I think I'm done. I said, I just want to get to September, but I'm done. And they were like, what are you going to do? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. And I had no idea, like no clue. I just knew my season was up. That's all I knew. And like the moment I said it out loud, like this burden lifted off my shoulders. And I was like, I don't know, but it's not here. And my last day of work was March 9th, 2020. School shut down March 12th, 2020. And I was in a space because I'd done the, been doing the work, right? Not to the, the therapy work, the spiritual work, but also like the practical financial work, all of that, that we were fine and I could figure out what's next. And what I have found over the past few years, I talk about that part of my story because I spent a lot of that time defining myself by what I did. And even as I talk about the, the rest, like the past couple of years, it is no longer about what I do. Although I love being an entrepreneur. I love the businesses that I've started. I love the space that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really about finding purpose, finding path, questioning, and creating the space to live, live a designed life um, that allows you to ebb and flow and move the way you need to move. And, and that's who you, when you talk about like who I was versus who I am, like I no longer, there's so much stuff I no longer subscribe to. Absolutely. Um, And I just don't, and I don't engage if it doesn't serve me. And I don't mean in like a selfish, self-serving type of way, but like, if that doesn't fit, Mm -hmm. I'm quick to be like, okay, I'm good. See y'all. All the best. (laughs) Right. But like, that ain't for me and I'm okay with it. Um, And that's not who I was before. Right. It was Mm -hmm. very this is how things work and you have to work within it. And now I'm like, but why? Yeah. <laughs> why do we do even little things? Like I, I, I asked a question, it came up in my Facebook memories. Like, why do we close our eyes when we pray? Like, what's that about? <laughs> I mean, but why? <laughs> I don't even know. Is it reference? I write my prayers out now. So yeah. what I look like, close my eyes, trying to write, trying to write your prayers. Like this, right? Question everything now. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, why is this? And, and why, why is that the way it is? And why do we treat, you know, organizations or people in this way? Why do we think about things that way? And even challenging, like, what lens is this something being presented to me from? Mm-hmm. And is that a lens that represents me? And even on the flip side, like if I'm talking about something, what lens am I coming from? Yeah. And what am I missing? 
by coming from that perspective. Mm -hmm. And I never was like that. It's like, no, this is how things work. So this is what you should do. And, you know, I feel like most of us, many of us grew up that way. And I think in our society, we have been taught that you follow the rules. That's the way that things have been. That's the way school is set up to yeah. teach you to follow the rules, especially if you go to public school. Right. Is get in line, follow the rules, get a job, contribute and keep following the rules. Like don't speak, don't question, don't, don't... ask anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I, I feel like these conversations come up the most with the folks in our generations, like, you know, end of Gen X, beginning of millennial generation, elder millennials is what they're calling us at this point, I guess, or whatever. Uh, <laughs> geriatric millennials. That's but, why I'm um, Gen X. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm like, all the Gen X people, I'm like, I know y'all glad y'all got that name, but that's all right. You know, we'll, we'll take the Zennials and enroll with it. Um, but I feel like it's interesting growing up in our, in, in the time we grew up because we grew up with parents who were like, your parents were entrepreneurs. Mine was a stay at home mom for a bit, but like then went back to the workforce was in this big push to go back to the workforce, particularly women going back to the workforce. And so we're of women who were trying to break barriers and yet they taught us to follow all the rules. Like, you know what I mean? Like y'all weren't following no rules. I know a lot of that was for safety. You know, like a say, lot. I, of I wonder about that because even so, my mom grew up in Akron, Ohio, and she was the first black prom queen at her high school. And <clears throat> I, my grandmother has been journaling for years, and so I spent the first two months of the year. She, I thought I was interviewing her. I get, I get on the Zoom. So first of all, getting my ninety-two-year-old grandmother on Zoom is. <laughs> And so we get on the Zoom and she starts reading because I'm like prepared with questions. And she was like, oh, no. And she literally is reading me her journal. And it's her life story that she's been journaling for over oh, 10 wow. years. And so I'm just I'm like, Grandma, you could have just sent me the journal. But I enjoyed the conversation. Mm-hmm. And it did too. But she talks about when my mom was um, voted prom queen and the, and the threats. Oh, wow. Threats of violence and the bomb threats, right? And like her view of that. Mm-hmm. And so I often wonder if a lot of the follow the rules is about safety. Yeah. And they didn't know anything safety. else, but follow the rules to stay safe. Like you couldn't step out of the boundary. So how am I going to teach you? Even if maybe it's safer now, like how would I teach you to do that? I, I, I do understand that a lot of the stay in the, in the lanes is so that you can have a life that's better than me and so you can be safe. And I and agreed in Richmond as well, because I think I was sheltered from a lot of what really was going down in Richmond, considering we, like both of us lived in the city. We were not county girls. We lived in the city, you know, like south side of north side. And we both, you know, like you know, <laughs> in the yeah, city. And, right. and I think that's so like a lot of people don't understand that. So Richmond even is different. Central Virginia even operates differently from Northern Virginia. Right. Whereas the cities are within counties. Right. But here it's like, if you in the city, you in the city, the county is separate. We don't, yep. we don't live within a county. And that distinction, 
I've realized as we've gotten older is a major. It is huge. Like we used to joke about it growing up, but it's a big distinction. Yeah. Your life was different if you grew up in the city. No matter what part of the city you lived in, your life was different if you grew up in the city. And I feel like, and we can talk about this as we move into like talking about killing Superwoman, because I'm sure some of this will come up. But, you know, like going to the church we went to, we ended up being around a lot of people who were from the county Mm -hmm. and our lives were different than theirs. Like, you know, like it was very different. School was different. Access was different. Opportunities were different. Like, you know, um, even if our parents might have been similar, you know what I mean? Like, it just was a different experience. And so um, that whole like zip code thing and like your zip code determining what could be possible for you was very, very clear, I think, um, in Richmond. Yeah, for sure. sure. Um, So as you like think about then that shift I, I like the way you talk about that delineation in your life like being able to tell it when your parents was the jazz club musician owning couple and then when they became the bible thumping church goers right like that delineation in your life but how there was a steadiness with you until a certain point where there became a break for you of switching doing your own I guess change and switch um I know your brand killing superwoman is really what is driving you um, in terms of like your purpose and the things that you're like putting out into the world. And so what does it mean to you to kill Superwoman? Like what did it mean to kill your, mean to kill your Superwoman, you know? Um, And then how does that killing of Superwoman connect to financial freedom for you? And knowing that that has been like a driving force for how you're operating now. Yeah. So (laughs) Killing Superwoman, even the genesis of it, right? I was driving down the highway. I think I was going to my office or somewhere. And um, oh no, I was going to Kelly's coffee shop. I was going to Urban Hang Suite. And I was just kind of reflecting about like how much my life had changed in a four or five year time frame, like all the things that had changed and how the expectations of other people had finally started to fall away Mm -hmm. um, from from having a hold on me. Um, You know, when I got divorced, it was, my very first thought was like, I don't want to look like a stereotype. Like I was very apprehensive to even say anything Yeah, because I didn't want to look like a stereotype, like, oh, this professional Black woman who's got all these accolades and is rising in her career, but divorced, single parent, you know, now single parent, like, what does that look like when somebody interacts with me? What is the first thing that they think? And the reality was, at least as far as I know, nobody was thinking about that, (laughs) but I was. But you were, yeah. And even think about like when you and I started talking about we were going through mm-hmm. our own marital things at the same time, but it was like not until I was like, well, you know, and you were like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> I very clearly remember that conversation. I mean, but the, I would say that was the way it was with, I had a, a couple of y'all, a couple of Spellman friends that were all, we were all going through this around the same time. And I was shocked from all of y'all. Like nobody would have known. Like, you know what I mean? I'm like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? What are you dealing with? What? And then, but then it was like this breath of fresh air of like, oh my God, I'm not by myself. And somebody understands, right? 
And so superwoman syndrome is an actual thing. Like it is a psychology documented actual thing around. And it's, it's very prevalent in black women where we take on the burden of all the things right? We try to be all things to all people. We try to save everybody. We try to, you know, protect everybody, take care of the children, take care of your family, be this professional person, like do all the things and look like you've got it all together while you're doing it. It is killing us, literally killing us. The stress of it is killing us. And that's a thing that you have to break. And so I'm driving and I'm reflecting about like just how far I've come in a very short period of time. And it was like, you've kind of killed Superwoman. And I was like, ooh. And so that's where it came from. Um, For me, it is an ongoing process. It's not a definitive point, right? There's no point where you're like, I did it. Let's move on. There's (laughs) no check. Trophy, please. (laughs) Thank you very much. I'd like this. I like my award (laughs) and my race. Right. But like, it's, we go through life checking boxes mm-hmm. and it's not, life is not meant to be about checking boxes and, and we have to find our journeys. And so a big part of it is finding the things that are weighing you down, those pressures, those expectations. Um, I remember in marital counseling, our um, counselor saying, you know, one of the biggest sources of this <clears throat> is unmet unvoiced expectations. Mm -hmm. And that's often what happens. We put those things on ourselves and don't even realize that we place these expectations on ourselves. And a lot of times it's based on what we think other people expect of us. And instead of saying, what do I want for myself and how do I get there? And, and so I have been on this process of like, what do I want for myself? My brother does executive coaching and he gave me the best advice when I was leaving. And he said, um, leaving Capital One. And he said, I can't coach you. (laughs) I was like, I know. And he said, but I'm going to give you the advice that I give my clients. And he said, if you can take a year for every week, take a week for every year that you were at the company. So for me, that would be 15 weeks. And And the reason for that was that's really good. You don't understand how ingrained you are in a culture until you're out of it. And you need to give yourself at least that much time to begin the process of disconnecting. Mm. And so when I was leaving, I went on redeployment. My position was eliminated. I went on redeployment. And I like in January, from January to March, I was still employed, but I was like getting all the support resources. I didn't have to go in and do any work. I had wrapped up all my work. And so I started my 15 weeks during that time. And I am forever grateful that I was able to do that. One, I was still getting paid. So money um, enables that. But Also, what I did during that time was the only thing I committed to doing was taking my daughter. Well, she liked to ride the bus. She was in public school at the time. So walking her to the bus stop in the morning and um, picking her up from school in the afternoon. That was it. I put nothing on my calendar. I didn't let people fill in my calendar with let's grab coffee, let's grab lunch. And I just did whatever I felt like doing every day. and it allowed me to 
to undo. Like I had to get used to, I stopped using an alarm clock at the end of 2019. I still don't use an alarm clock. Um, and I just sort of moved at whatever pace. And if I woke up one day, took her to the bus and was like, I'd like to watch Netflix for the day. That's what I would do. <laughs> if I woke up and was like, oh, I feel inspired. I'm going to write or go here or do this or read. Then that's what I would do um, or plan out. I knew I was going to start a business. I know what it's going to look like, but I like start planning that out. I just went with the flow and it allowed me to decompress and disconnect. Um, I had a hard time realizing that I need, didn't need to be sitting in front of a computer all day. Oh yeah. It was really hard, oh, yeah. like really hard, or I don't have to be in meetings all day and I don't have to fill up my day. And uh, the reason I'm grateful that I started in January is because if I had waited till my last day, I never would have gotten it because- because oh, everything oh, shut down, yeah. Everything shut down and I very quickly became a homeschool teacher and my child often asked me <clears> to <throat> teach at her school. And I told her, cause your mother is not gifted to be a teacher. Like it takes a very special person <laughs> to teach. That is not me. And she's like, but you teach me. I'm like, one-on-one, I'm real good. This whole like- class- Other people's children is a whole <laughs> other level. <laughs> no ma'am, no ma'am. But that's what I had to do for that period because she came home with 75 pages of worksheets because they didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. And we thought we was, and she's in kindergarten. And they thought <laughs> that they were going to be home for two weeks. And I looked at those worksheets and I was like, we're not doing this. And so I, I literally looked up what she needed to have known by the end of the year based on the state education department standards. And I just figured I upped her reading. She had a literacy tutor. I upped her tutor to like three times a week. So she handled the reading and writing stuff. I did math. And then we did like some life lesson stuff. That was it. Like we're not about to do all of this. Um, And I would not have been in the mental space to do that if I had stayed in that corporate mindset. And honestly, it's taken me two years to undo most of the corporate mindset, but that gave me a jump start, and it gave me the clarity that I needed. And I think part of the killing superwoman piece and why it's very much rooted in finances Mm -hmm. is when you remove financial stress and I, I separate that from financial independence because they're different, but just the pure removal of financial stress frees up your brain to flow. And when you can flow, life looks and feels differently. Like the creativity is, is this an influx, right? However you define creativity. Like I'm always, I admire like you and these people that are like really artistic. I'm like, that's so cool. That is not the space. But I've had to understand that my flow in creativity is in writing, is in how I show up. It is in different, different ways. And that's also creativity. Um, in and of itself. And so when you free up your brain or you're not in a space where (laughs) they have this, uh, they have this like continuum of money. Mm -hmm. And one of them is like, you know, you're working paycheck to paycheck, 
you're, you're no longer paycheck to paycheck, like you're reducing some of the stress. The next one is FU money. Oh, and, yeah. And it's like, it's just like, if I just want to walk away and give my two weeks notice and walk out the door, do I have enough to walk out the door and I'll be okay until I can get the next thing. Right. And then it goes, the continuum goes on from there until like you can, you know, fully financially independent. I ain't got to work if I don't want to, that kind of thing. Um, I'm somewhere in the middle at this point where like, I don't have to, I can go, I can go easily a year without working and we'll be fine. And there's no change in our lifestyle. There's no drastic adjustments that need to be made which allows me to take breaks when I need to, which allows me to make different decisions. Um, And that flexibility allows me to go with the flow of where our life is. I have a small, I have two older daughters. I got one finishing grad school. I got one finishing high school and then I got a second grader, right? So our life flows differently. And what does that look like? And how do we ebb and flow and, you know, you, as soon as you get one off the payroll, the next one's going on payroll. And so I'm it's like, true. all right, we're rolling you off, but we got you. How we doing? And I want people to really understand that like the place that you're talking about, you're in now, you got to, in like two to three years, this is a recent thing. This is yeah. not like, oh, I've been walking around, bopping around financially, you know, secure, you know, less financially, less stressed for a long time. Like this is something that happened recently. And I think to me, like watching you go through it, I ain't there yet. My mindset is still being renewed. We We're there. still we working on it because we're going to get there. But like watching how quickly you change from being in debt to like, I can go for a year and not work and be fine and not change a thing. Like, that is the part that's most encouraging to me. I'm like, this did not, this is not a 10 year process that you took. Like this wasn't, you know, like this was like a couple of years. And and I, and I think what I like about your process as well is that because it's so tied to values and like helping you understand your own money values and the way that you spend money, choose to spend money, why you feel the way you feel about money, all of those things, the relationship you have with money, because it's tied to that. I think it just, it creates the space where I, I I know you sacrificed something somewhere. I'm sure you did, but like you still were living a life that felt good to you as you were figuring out how to get rid of your debt and find yourself in a good place. You weren't saying like, we can't do this. I can't, I can't eat no ice cream. I got to cook all my meals. I got to, I can't go on vacation. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like that. And I think that's the, that's the part I, I, I love about your process. And I mean, if you briefly tell folks, I know this is something you're still developing. I know you ran a pilot for us and everything, and you're going to do this more often, but briefly tell people just like the mental place you're trying to get people to to prepare them to be able to do this type of work so like there I mean we all know there's a million personal finance gurus out there um I ain't trying to be one of them be honest I follow several of them I think they're great um but and then there's some that you like please don't ever follow these people again (laughs) um but at the end of the day personal finance is personal um but it's emotional And I think we lose that part. So we're like, I got to get my money in order. I'm going to set up a budget and I've done it, right? I wrote out a budget on Excel 
And like that looks good and never looked at it again until the next year when I was ready to write out another budget and everything looked crazy. Um, and and people will tell you like, well, if you want to get out of debt, put all your extra money towards your debt and don't eat out. Don't ever go anywhere. Don't travel. Don't do anything like eat ramen noodles, basically. And I ain't about that life. Um, go. What I have learned, which is actually probably within the last six months is um, going really hard is a recipe for disaster for me. So even something as simple as, you know, a lot of folks at the beginning of the year will be like, I'm going to read a book a month. My goal for 2022 is a book a quarter. And that's doable. I did read a book. Yes. <laughs> Good for you. That's, that sounds like a very doable thing. But like life happens and yes. then you feel guilty or I'm going to work out for two hours a day, seven days a week. Like, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm going to go for 30 minutes a day, four days out the week. And let's see how that goes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but like finding a balance and money is the same way. How do I find a balance? Yes. I want to make sure my bills are paid. I can't, I can't function if all the bills aren't paid. Um, but I also want to do stuff, right? Like we have season passes to Kings and Men. Why? Because my kid likes roller coasters. I am starting to get off, get on the, I don't really like them no more train, but she does. And it's 20 minutes away and we can go for two hours and it'd be fine. And so we, you know, I make sure that's in the budget. We have our season passes. We like to travel. I just got back from a weekend recharge. And I just, add, while I was there, I added recharging into my budget. I needed that. And I didn't even realize I needed it. And you have to make time for those things. If going to the local coffee shop brings you joy, by all means, please spend the money and go to the local coffee shop and find find ways to give yourself peace. When I so when I moved out, when I separated, I had two hundred dollars in my checking account, nothing in my savings account. I was the primary breadwinner in our family. Um, he had his own business and was still getting started with that, and. I had taken home six figures, netted, not gross, netted six figures at and the whole year. And all I had left was $200. And that was because I had just gotten paid the day before and had paid all the bills. Mm-hmm. So like, that's what I was coming from, six figures in debt. Um, but like, that's what I was coming from. And I didn't want to live like that. Like I was always stressed out. And so I just started learning how to take control of my finances and then learned, I think kind of naturally, like, what do you care about? And why do you think about money this way? And what, what is stressing you out? Like I had, I had enough money in the bank at one point where I was like, I could pay off my car early, like within a year of getting it. Or I could just keep this money in the bank. And every time I thought about the two scenarios, Mm. keeping the money in the bank stressed me out. (laughs) Which is interesting, right? You got yeah, you have money on hand, and I was like, "That is pay this car off." I didn't like having a car note, Mm. 
And it was purely emotional. And so I paid off the car note. And then I was like, okay, now we can focus on rebuilding the savings. And that, That's your that value. had yeah. to do with conventional wisdom and everything to do with what brought me peace. Yeah. And that's why I approach money in that way. Like what brings you peace is rooted in your life experiences and moments that you have interacted with money that you don't even necessarily realize it. Mm-hmm. And it is rooted in what you need now and what brings you peace today could change over time. Yeah. Um, and you can add to it and that gets into your prioritization. So when I did the course, we focused on creating your money values and determining your financial priorities. And that was really because money values are core to who you are, but priorities will change over time. Yeah. And like, yeah. as kids get older, they definitely, their items yeah. so yes. yes. Right? Like, You'll need all 800 of these things. So. so then what are you going to do with all of that extra? Yeah, I um, I feel like when we worked together the first time and we're about to work together again, which I think is great because I need it. Um, when we worked together the first time, what I remember feeling like a moment where you kind of took the guilt off of me was when you said like, if you want to eat out, Jan, you can eat out. Like, why are you eating out? And I'm like, well, I want to hang out with my friends. Well, she's like, well, that's different. That eating out is different than I ran and got some food because I didn't plan. You right. know, like those are two different things. And so then, you know, like realizing that, like, I didn't have to feel guilty if, you know, because at this point in our lives, when our friends, when we go out to eat, we are not looking at how much this the steak costs. And I'm not trying to, I know that's a privilege that comes with that. Um, but you know, we are not looking at that. I want to be able to go out and we order what we want and we split the bill at the end and nobody's saying anything. Like we just we do what we need to do. Right. <laughs> We're just doing what we need to do. That. We'll do that. We're just trying to like, cause we ain't doing this that often. So it's like, let's, let's live our lives when we do. And knowing that I didn't have to feel bad about that, but that I could then not feel bad, but think more critically about, do I really need to pop up into this Chick-fil-A right now? Or could I go cook the thing that's at my house? Because I really don't need the Chick-fil-A, right? Like that, that I, I have taken with me for sure. And I do feel like even when I'm not budgeting, because of the original conversation, I make better still choices. Like, do you really need to do that? And then some of the choices I have made have been convenience because I realized working with you, convenience is a value of mine. So like, yes, I'm going to order this meal service to cook the food and reduce my grocery bill because that's going to make it easier for me to not have to think about the recipes, but just have all the stuff right here. And I'm not going to waste anything because I'm, I'm cooking everything that, that is here. Exactly. You know, like those are things that have helped just help me make better choices. Now I'm going to fine tune it this go around. We, you know, <laughs> three years from now, when we have this conversation, I'm going to be talking about how I could go a year without working as well. <laughs> that's what okay. we're talking about. Well, I, those things are important. Like one of the first things I learned was, I spend crazy money in the summers. Like summers in Richmond are fun, right? Like we are outside, everything is going down. Like I spend big money in the summer and it's usually impromptu. And so now I just plan for it. I set aside about, I don't know, a hundred or $200 a month throughout the year. And I have that available as summer fun money. Yeah. And so when the summer rolls up, like our noise, uh, 
in June, got Method Man and Red Man, I was like, yeah. I will be there in, in, in there. The, right, exactly. In there. Like, it's a done deal. And I don't even need to think about it. Um, and that's okay. Because I'm just planning for it. That's all it is. It's just a plan. Yeah. Which is which is interesting, like hearing you, like you said at the beginning, like just bring us full circle as we're um, getting ready to wrap this up. But you said at the beginning, I'm a planner. Like one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to have a plan. And I feel like now you have taken what used to be a plan, what it seems like planning for planning's sake, you know, and you figured out a way to plan, still be a planner, but not be bound by Right. Like the rules of what the plan has to be or whatever. Like the plan is fluid, a little more fluid these days. That's the thing. It's, it's flexible and fluid, right? So it's no longer about this is it and it's super rigid and we don't do anything else. Instead, it's okay, we flow. So my daughter is also, the youngest is a planner. She needs to know everything that's going to happen. So Fridays, she we have a, like a menu it's a loose menu. It's more like Mondays are pasta night, Tuesdays are taco, like that kind of thing. Um, but Fridays are Friday. She has designed this. Like we have fries on Friday. And so my only question on Fridays is like- Girl left in my own heart. Listen, homegirl will eat fries every day if I let her. So it's always, what do you want with your fries? And we do Friday and movie night. And um, this past Friday was Jackie Robinson Day, and we live really close to the minor league baseball state. Like, I can walk there. And I said to her, she had taken her to get a hair braided, and when I picked her up, I was like, okay, so you got a choice. We can do movie night, or we can go to the baseball game. And she was like, oh, I want to go to the baseball game. And I didn't really expect her to say she wanted to go to the baseball game. And it's Virginia in the spring, so it's the pollen um, and I was like, mm. but that's what she wanted to do. The tickets were cheap. They're like $14 a piece. So I was like, okay, cool. So that's what we did. And she was like, but we're going to watch movies. I was like, we can watch movies Saturday morning. She's like, okay. And that's so easy. <laughs> and it seems really simple. Mm-hmm. But somebody like me is like, no, no, no. We do you this said. on this day. So it's a big change for me to be like, hey, whatever. Yeah, yeah. There's a the freedom in that is beautiful. And it's teaching her too. Like she's making a choice. She's getting to decide. Like there's some plan. We have an idea of what we might want to do, but we change our minds. We um, can be flexible. And it's okay to change your mind. Yeah. yeah. Which is an important lesson. I'm also, she keeps me humble because she she don't really care about the stuff that I do. Like, out and out. <laughs> yes, she's like, who cares about my mother? She was like, okay, <laughs> like, <not laughs> never mind. My mother's winning awards and being put on boards and all sorts. Of, I don't care, whatever. We're like, it's Friday. Are we watching movies? <laughs> I, I love it. That, <laughs> I mean, speaking of which. What that's our fi- our final question. The question I always ask to end that show is, what do you want your descendants to say about you? Um, and so what do you hope? Sure, what does Zoe say? But like in the future, also, what do you hope your descendants can say about you and what you left for them? Um, I hope that I leave a legacy of um, 
an example of choice, of, of purpose and of freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been thinking about that a lot, actually, uh, because yes, I hope that we, you know, got generations of millionaires or whatever. That's all well and good. Um, but I hope that when my kids and their kids and, you know, even further, and they tell the stories of who I was, I hope that they say it was never about the things. It was about following your own path and finding how your purpose manifests by using your gifts um, and pouring that out, not just for yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and that to me, um, it always reminds me, one of my favorite quotes by Dr. Mary Wright Edelman, our, our beloved Spelman sister, um, service to others is the rent we pay for living. It is the very purpose of life and not just something you do in your spare time. And that's the legacy that I want to live. And I want to give my descendants the opportunity for the freedom to do that and to find that earlier in life, for my kids to find that earlier in life and for that to pass on for generations. That, that's the gift. Yeah, absolutely. The choice. And I think that that thing, that idea has come up pretty solidly through all of these conversations so far it's just wanting to leave our descendants with um the ability to choose and to know that they can choose and that it could be completely different than anything that anybody before them has chosen Mm -hmm. that you know if it's their choice from a place of you know purpose that that's all we would want for them is to be able to have that and to know that we're cheering them on when they make those choices always cheering them on yeah well thank you for doing this with me thank you for having me (laughs) uh and of course we'll do it again i definitely want to bring you back and i definitely want more people to learn about the work you're doing so um tell them where they can find you um and possibly get access to your course whenever you're launching or running it again and all of that yeah so i am rn Creighton, C-R-E-I-G-H-T-O-N on uh, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and then uh, RashidaCreighton.com is my website where you can find everything. You can find all the courses when they launch. Um, So the value, the money values course, and then I'm finishing up my certification um, on the YNAB budget app. So You'd be able to do that too. But RM Creighton, C R E I G H T O N, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and then RashidaCreighton.com. Awesome. Go check her out, y'all. Like, I really feel like uh, as we design liberated lives for ourselves, like, we have to look at the way money shows up in our lives and not for some like capitalistic gain, but for the idea of choice. And the ability to have choice for ourselves, have choice for our descendants, give choice to our communities. And so um, what I've liked and enjoyed about talking about money with you and with the other women who are a part of the lab is the way that we are um, ensuring that our intentions around the reasons for building our wealth 
um, remain rooted in the freedom and choice of our communities. And I think that's the most powerful thing. And so thank you for coming. Thank you for doing this. I'm looking forward to our live conversation when we re rehash this, because I'm sure people will have questions <laughs> and all sorts of stuff that I can't wait. So thank I you. Thank you. <laughs>